1: And with that, good morning America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. Where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at Sons of Liberty dot com. And for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, The Bible as the authoritative Word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. com and SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to com. top of the page. On the left side of there, you'll see Bradley show from the previous day. That will still remain up there until 3 p.m. Eastern, at which time it will be live. Just click on the play button and you'll be... You'll be in there ready to watch it, uh, whether it is yesterday's show or live. And then on the right side is the live stream going on right now. Click on that. That will also be archived, so you can watch it up until 6 a.m. the next morning. Uh, and be sure to check those out at sons of We're also streaming live on beforeit'snews.com, top of the page. Rumble at sons of liberty radio live at dlive.tv at the sons of liberty. Twitch at Setting Brush Fires, and also if you've got a Roku device, we're on uh, Cutting Edge TV over there. Also right below where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Remember, we don't rent your email, sell it, or spam it, so you get one email from us a day. That includes the morning show archive, so everything we're going to talk about here will be neatly packaged in a little article format so that anything you missed, you want to share with friends or whatever, you can do So, If you agree with our message and you'd like to help keep us out there, not only on internet and radio, but out among the people teaching our Christian and constitutional heritage, there's a donate button at the top of SonsLibertyMedia.com. Click on that to make a one-time donation, or if you want to partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty, that is there as well. And our store is available, and we got all kinds of conversation starters in there. This week we're highlighting um, Stephanie's book, One Heart: the Testimony of Stephanie Joy Dean, that's Bradley's wife. These are normally available for donation of seven dollars. this week only through Saturday at midnight, uh, you can get these for fifty percent off, right? One heart, the number one and heart all together, one word, is a promo code you can use through Saturday night. That'll get you 50% off of these. These are great to share with some young ladies in your life. Um, Stephanie has a pretty interesting testimony, and so if you want to share that, please do so. Pick those up again Saturday before midnight, and uh, the promo code is one heart, and that gets you the 50% off. Now, I got a special guest with me this morning, and uh, very happy that she's able to make time for us, and... um, Hedia Miramadi, I got that correct, I think, was a devout Muslim for two decades working in the field of national security before she experienced the redemptive power of Jesus Christ and has a new passion for sharing the gospel. She, she dedicates herself full-time to Resurrect Ministry, an online resource that harnesses the power of the Internet to make salvation through Christ available to people of all nations and our daily podcast, Living Fearless Devotional.com. And it's my privilege to welcome to the Suns of Liberty, Hedia Miramati. Good morning. Thank
0: you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, it's great to have you. And uh, boy, I tell you, if there isn't something that will, will light up the morning for you, it's it's your face. I mean, I put you on and you got this big old smile. Look at that. She's got this big old smile going on the whole time that we're doing the intro. And uh, so I'm glad to see that because, you know, sometimes I get on and there are people on in the morning. And uh, my friend Don, uh, who's just across the line in Charlotte, uh, I called him one morning, like five minutes before, I'm like, Don, are, are you awake, man? Are you? Um, I'm get, I am just thought I'd lay here a little longer. Uh, isn't, it, isn't it like uh, isn't it like 5.30? No, no, it's like 5 to 6. And he gets oh, up and he's, he's just, just, poor guy, he's just struggling. But uh, it's uh, great I'm to have you person, on. I'm a morning
0: person, so this is great for me.
1: Good, good. Well, I, it's great to have you on. And I got to tell you, I didn't know who you were. And I ran across a video of an interview you were doing. And I heard you speaking a little bit about Yourself and what you were doing and what the background you came out of. And I've been telling the people on the show uh, about a month ago, uh, our health and wellness nutritionist, uh, Kate Shimarani. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's been speaking out a lot in the UK and has been smeared in the papers and everything warning about the shots, uh, warning about the lies that's being told about the alleged virus and all this other stuff. And uh, Kate turned me on this guy. We, We were talking. This guy is... He's a Muslim, but he's a Muslim unlike any Muslim I've ever talked to. I've talked to many Muslims, and boy, when you start pressing who Jesus is, they don't want anything to do with you. In fact, they get fire in their eyes, right? (laughs) This guy's coming on, and he's saying, he says, I love Jesus so much, I would beat you running to him if he appeared. And I said, well, I I think that's great, but which Jesus are we talking about? And so we, we began, I just took him through John 1 you know, of nice. who Jesus is. And I said, now, who is this? And he at first he wanted to kind of run away from it. And then I said, no, 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 let's just stay right here. And we walked through it. And I said, now, who is the Word? The Word was God, right? And then he's also the light who comes into the world. And the Word was what? Made flesh.
0: So well, God, God was knows.
1: made flesh. And I said, who is this talking about? And he goes, well, I guess that's Jesus. And I said, well, what's the text saying? And he goes, well, I guess it's saying Jesus is God. And he was joking with me, saying, "Well, if I come to South Carolina, you're going to baptize me." I said, "Sure, if you want to profess faith in Christ and be a disciple, sure." And but Thank it was something I had never heard. I'd never heard a Muslim talk like him. And uh, I said, "Pretty soon, man, you're going to have to drop that. You're going to have to drop that thing and all." But you you were in the Muslim. You were in that. You were in oh, the yeah. the religion of Islam. Could you start off and just tell us a little bit about where you're born, how you were brought up into that, and and kind of give us a flavor for who you are at that
0: time? Sure, sure. I actually, my parents are Persian immigrants from Iran, and they came in the 60s, so before the revolution. They came to live the American dream. My dad was finishing medical school. They were so excited to come to America. In fact, they never wanted to go back. So uh, I was raised secular. Uh, we spoke English at home. They were really big on us becoming Americans. It literally was not until the hostage crisis when the um, Iranian mullahs took the American hostages that I actually came into uh, knowledge of being an Iranian because at school, when they started to come into the United States, my principal asked me to come and escort them and help them out. And I thought to myself, why me? She's like, because you're Iranian. And so it was literally the confrontation that I was different. And fast forward to my college life, and I started to feel this kind of distance away from God in a relationship because we were secular and went on the journey for religion. And I went, you know, one thing to another, tried the Buddhism, the new agey stuff. And actually, I was in love with a, a Jewish boy and we wanted to get married, but his parents wouldn't allow me to convert. They wouldn't accept a convert. So my family was like, hey, you know, well, we we come from Islam. Why don't you try Islam? and one thing led to another, and i i that's actually how I stumbled into becoming a Muslim
1: okay all right so you it's you, so you're a secular and then you stumble into becoming uh, muslim now this is this is kind of interesting, so can you take us through that process of whatever happened there uh to you as a result of that
0: yeah it's it's kind of interesting because i so the way my father explained it to me, he's like you are your ethnicity and your cultural background is Muslim. So it's always going to feel more natural. And of course, he knew the experience of me not being accepted by my boyfriend's family. So he's like, if you want somewhere where you're going to belong, that's your best option. So that made sense to me. I got involved in the first mosque I got involved in was extremely anti-Semitic, was Really, one, one of the most I funds I find out later to be one of the more radical mosques in the entire country. And I said to my parents, that's it. I've, I'm, I can't deal with this religion. It doesn't suit me. I, I'm not anti-Semitic at all because I grew up ar- entirely around Jewish people. It was the only people I knew growing up up until I got to college. So um, I was about to leave Islam. And then I came across um, this mystical sect known as Sufism. So these were the kind of peace-loving, whirling, dancing, uh, mystical side of Islam, and that's where I spent the next 22 years of my life.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, when I address certain things, and we've addressed topics like the topic of Antichrist, and those are the people who deny that Christ has come in the flesh, uh, which in essence is God has come in the flesh, because the same John who wrote John 1-1, wrote the epistles where he addresses that. And some people think that I hate uh, uh, Muslims or I hate Jews because I point out they're holding to those doctrines, and I don't. The point is just to show, you know, to point them to Christ. And so, I'm, you know, I've had many Jewish friends. I've had a few Muslim friends. Not many are, are around here in, in the area that I'm at. And so I understand that. So you get into this. what is What is intriguing to you about Islam? That, that you want, that you believe in it? What
0: What is it that you found that was desirable about that? So I was looking for a relationship with God, right? So I had no interaction with Christians at all. I had actually never heard the gospel until I'm in my forties. So to me, God was the same God, Abraham, Moses, you know, um, and Muhammad. And I was like, well, This is the same God. That's what I'm told. So this is the culturally appropriate God for me, if that makes sense. And so once I went into the community, there were a lot of like-minded people. They were also looking, remember, this is the mystical spiritual branch. This isn't, we're going to go fight jihad in Afghanistan. This is the mystical sect that is, we're trying to get closer to God. We're trying to find a relationship with him to purify ourselves. And then I liked the discipline. I've always been a disciplined person. And so I liked the discipline of prayers and fasting. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, this is like the Olympic athlete version of religion. Uh, and because so it, There was this unique situation where as a result of becoming part of the Sufi community, they were in a knockout drag out fight with the extremists because everywhere in the world that um, Wahhabi, Salafist Islam, if you're familiar with the different sects, took over. They had to basically kill the Sufis first because the Sufis were the ones that held on to the cultural norms and were the moderates of the community. And the extremists had to basically get rid of them first. So the first war on terror occurred Muslim to Muslim. And when I figured this out, it became this great fascination of mine. I had just graduated law school by this time. I was uh, beginning my career as a, as a lawyer and I was going, and because of my first experience with the mosque was so negative, I was like, what is this, you know, struggle for the soul of Islam, basically. And I started to do research at mosques, started to interview people. And a couple of, uh, original cowboys in the FBI that were literally the first three people that were investigating um, Islamic terrorism in the early 90s uh, got wind of me, basically, because we were in the same mosques. It was the mosque that um, uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed had been fundraising in Northern California. And so he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. What are you doing? And It struck up this friendship that lasted, you know, 25 years. I was doing consulting for them, helping them to understand the community, helping them to understand the different factions. And so then my personal life and my professional life became so intertwined that the pursuit of God and the spirituality didn't really matter anymore. It was my life. It was my friends. It was my worship community. It was my profession. And I just didn't give it any more thought. Okay. All right. Now help me understand something at this point
1: in the particular sect that you're in the dancing mystical kind of stuff how much of that really relies upon the quran the teachings there and also what's written in the hadith how much is that they actually hold to versus what what some people refer to as the radicals how what's the difference there as far as who's really holding to
0: what more accurately uh, it, not much at all okay it, it, it. I'm I'm trying to simplify the jurisprudential issues, but so the Sufis argue that the text is reformable, malleable. God had a context, like, for example, kill the infidels or kill the Jews and the Christians where you find them, was a scripture specific for a period of time, is no longer applicable. So they basically um, allow the text to evolve with time and circumstance. And the extremists are literalists, strict literalists that say, no, the text says what it says, and um, what you're doing is heresy. So this is the ongoing struggle between them. So when you, if you asked me at that point in my life, who's holding on to the real Quran? Well, if you looked at the letter of the law, they are. I mean, they, they're holding on to what's actually written on the paper. But you say, what is the true spirit of Islam? Um, back then, I would say, you know, the Sufis were the true spirit. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I, I appreciate that very much. That's This is some of the things that I deal with because from what I've seen, those texts that are more, if, if you want to call them radical, come near the end more than the beginning. For instance, when you look in the, in the Old Testament, even when you have the commands to go into the land and to kill everything, right. uh, the idea was that was very specific for a specific time and specific people. There's no question about that. Now, can there be principles of that? Yeah, you know, obviously, we see in the New Testament, we're to put to death uh, sin in our bodies, and I think there is an application of what's going on in that. As they go into the land, they're clearing that out so that they can live free and in peace. And then, when they don't do that, which they didn't, then they get they get the curses, they get the judgment that comes along with not dealing with with sin. And so I think there's a picture, and then you, you move into the New Testament. I don't think it's an issue of saying, well, there's no war anymore, uh, and physical combat. There's no any of these kinds of things. But, I, but it's like the Bible seems to go in the opposite direction of how the Quran does, and yes. where you see the violence, it comes at the end almost like it's a perpetual thing. So I appreciate you clearing that up. Okay, so what ends up happening? You get in here, you're working with the FBI— All this stuff. And i got to tell you, I'm cynical. Uh, I think the FBI is unconstitutional. Uh, I, I just think a big, bloated government is the last thing that we needed in the first place. And this caused a lot of problems, not only for our country, but for Muslim countries and other countries around the world. You're in here with these guys. You've kind of forgotten it as a pursuit of God, as sort of this amalgamation of your work and professional conduct and stuff like this. What is it that changes in you? To where all of a sudden now you're refocused back, and I'm assuming somebody comes to you with the true gospel, and I want to make sure that there's a difference between the modern gospel that just says, oh, you know, just come to Jesus. If you don't like him, the devil will take you back. Stuff. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a call to repentance and stuff. How does that,
0: how does that occur in your life? Oh, that's a great story. So I uh, was at the FBI and mind you, I had served in Afghanistan in our embassy. I had traveled to 37 different countries on behalf of the U.S. government, had worked for every agency under the sun, the State Department, Justice Department, Homeland Security. The pinnacle of my career, I'm at the FBI headquarters and I decided I'd take my head cover off. I'm like, I'm getting tired of this. It's people are staring at me. It's just annoying. And I decided to take it off and it was like the veil tour, the entire religion unraveled it. Uh, people started to criticize me and say, I was going to hang from my hair for eternity and hellfire for taking off my head cover. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? I'm a devout worshiper of God and God is going to hang me from my hair for taking off a piece of cloth. And it just, it, none of it made sense anymore. And so uh, it, it, I can't even explain the degree to which this affected everything in my life, because then my professional relationships changed, my friendships changed. Uh, and as a consequence, I left Islam before I met Jesus. So I left Islam and it scorched earth because my community was a very tight knit community. And when I left Islam, it was basically like I died. I lost all my friends, all my network. And professionally, I wasn't very useful anymore because I wasn't the like, you know, undercover Muslim person that was investigating terrorism. So I I wasn't useful professionally either. And I just, I felt completely lost and I had uh, no compass and I became a worshiper because I, I wanted a relationship with God. And so that yearning just returned. It was as if the yearning was never satisfied. And I was following social media posts of random people that just, you know, like their messages. And one posted a message from her pastor. And I, I watched that video on YouTube and just was just mesmerized, mesmerized by the concept of Jesus Christ as God incarnate, that he was coming to, that he had come to save us from our sins, that with a life of, you know, turning in repentance to him. You had eternal life. I mean, all these concepts that I had spent 25 years trying to reach a nearness to God and never did. And yet, you know, love of Christ, faith of Christ would give me what I never could get um, in Islam, which was a relationship with the actual true God. All of this was in my living room. I had not stepped foot into a church yet. So this is literally me meeting Jesus on YouTube. And uh, as a consequence, I had no friends that were basically feeding into me or witnessing to me ever before I was baptized. So it was, I was in a prayer and I was praying in the traditional Islamic way, basically with my head on the floor. And I was just crying constantly because at this point I'm confused on who God is. And it was in one of those prayers that I audibly heard the voice of Christ say, Hedia, it's me and it was the most radical miraculous encounter of my life. Wow. Wow, that's incredible.
1: You know, I I have a, a testimony in which some things happened definitely outside of church, and I think that's really what the Bible commands us. Jesus didn't say, "Hey, come welcome everybody in." He said, "Go and disciple the nations, teaching them to observe Amen. all that I've commanded and lo I'm with you always." And, and the reason mm-hmm. we can do that is because he said he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, it drives me crazy to hear people talk about, oh, the devil's in control there. No, he's not. He's defeated. Mm-hmm. Christ has all authority. And Amen. he's told us as a result of that that we're to go and to disciple the nations. So, okay, so you hear this message on yes. YouTube. And can you give us a flavor of what's being said there uh who maybe who the, I don't even know who the pastor is but what's being said there and what he's communicating and what really grabbed you? You're talking about the love of Christ. But yeah. there's what what is I'll, he saying? I'll tell you
0: it's it's the it's the and you're not going <laughs> to you're not going to like this but uh I I actually wrote an article about this called the paradox of the celebrity pastor. So the And and I'm I'm saying this as a as a lay person. You know, I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. I'm telling you, sitting in my living room, becoming now at this point absolutely enamored by Christ. It was the gospel that told you that you could be forgiven of your sins, that you would repent and and turn to Christ, and He would grant you eternal life. So it's not even a very complicated. Uh, gospel, but it was the simple gospel of redemption Amen. and
1: salvation. Amen. No, that's that's that is the gospel.
0: Yeah, and 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 the thing is, is that this I stayed in this community. So it was entirely online. It was uh, if I tell you, you'll know who it is. And the only reason I don't normally mention it is because I often talk about how I feel like. I'm very grateful that the Lord wanted me to get, you know, I started with milk and he wanted me to get the meat of the Bible and wanted me to grow and mature. And so now I'm in a, you know, a a Bible teaching, uh, expository church that has fed me a lot more, but I can never, uh, I I can never purposely discount the effect that these churches have. I just think it's important that people learn the full counsel of God. Amen.
1: I agree. Yeah, in fact, I have often – there's so many people who will join us in chat, and they'll send me messages and everything, and they'll go, you know, Tim, we can't find a church that will teach the Bible. I mean, that's really sad. In the United States of America, they will dance around it. They will make you feel good. uh, They'll never confront sin. They'll never call men to repent. uh, They never exalt the Word of God over the people in the congregation, use it even for discipline, which is an act of love. Um, they don't do it. And I said, as best you can, find somebody who teaches expositorily. And by that, I mean they teach verse by verse through a chapter. And I don't know if you're talking about John MacArthur's church, but uh, that, that was one, you know, John MacArthur, even though I disagree with his eschatology, that i that's where I learned that, because he taught that without having to say, now, this is how you do this. He just did it every week. And so when somebody would come to me with scriptures, and they'll just rattle off a script, I say, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on that. Let's go to the context, and let's see what the context is saying there, because a lot of times people quote a scripture verse completely out of context and try to make it say something it doesn't. So I'm glad to hear that you've picked up on those
0: kinds of things as well. Now... When you're saying well, my current my pastor now is pastor Jack Hibbs Calvary okay. Chapel Chino Hills okay but um that's the expository bible teacher that I'm with now but in the beginning it was always topical you know most of the the churches uh, are teaching the bible in a topical way where they're cover, they cover four or five scriptures um in a period let's say a dozen in an entire year but it's often recycled. Then they'll go back to a, a particular verse. And so nobody ever learns an entire chapter and sure doesn't end up learning the entire Bible.
1: Well, I think that's because you get hirelings in the church and, and they're there for a paycheck and they don't care about the flock. They care about looking good or sounding good or getting people into the church, get more money in the church. Oftentimes that's what you find out that's going on. The man who labors in prayer and the doctrines of Scripture, those are the ones that the Apostle Paul says that they're worthy of double honor. And that doesn't just mean saying, you know, you praise them. It means double honor, as in honorarium, your money. They, they, right. You're taking care of them, your money, your food, whatever it is to supply their needs, and even more, because you appreciate what they've done for you. And uh, and that's quite different than the televangelists who usually show up there. So yeah. let me ask you this: You, you say um, because you didn't really put on this part before, but you say I could be forgiven of my sins. Were your sins? Were your lawless deeds? Were they weighing that heavy on you
0: to where that was attractive? Oh, absolutely. I was I was obsessed with it to tell you quite frankly. Is that I was constantly asking um, Islamic scholars. So if I do like. It, you know, So I had this problem with Ramadan. The fasting in summertime was 18 hours and it was killing me. I couldn't work and fast 18 hours. And so I was constantly going to Islamic scholars. What's the jurisprudence? What are the exceptions? What kind of sickness do you need to have? Because I had colitis and they're like, nope, try to sleep instead. And it and it drove me bananas that I was so concerned that I was going to go to hellfire I was going to spend an eternity in hell because I wasn't fasting Ramadan properly. You can, you can become very OCD about Islam. So when you're very driven like me, every single thing started to, I became obsessive about it. I was obsessive about my clothes and the way I was praying and maintaining ritual washing and, and the food I was eating. And then it got to the point where I thought it was never, I was never going to get there. It would never be enough. I would never be perfect enough. Okay. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. But now you're pointing towards Islamic law and what they have. What about the moral law of God? You know, um, don't take His name in vain. Don't have idols. Uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. To um, don't steal. Don't you kill. Only don't come, like come to Christ. Well, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying because this—that's the law shows us our sin, right? It shows us our violation of the law. And so were any of those things weighing on you? I mean, I, you know, I can tell people all the bad stuff I did, which were in violation of God's law, uh, even though I thought I was a good guy because I didn't want to hurt anybody, at least in my mind. And, but, but what about these things of the moral law of God, uh, not, not the things of Islam, but the moral law of God, were any of those things weighing on you just as heavy as, say, not doing Ramadan?
0: So you're saying when I was a Muslim or once I accepted Christ?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the, he, yeah, that's what I'm. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Of what the gospel comes, it comes the more because I don't see that Islam is upholding the moral law of God in the sense of the Ten Commandments. I know they recognize them and such, and I would say probably at least from the guys I've talked to, they would say yes, this should be this should be part of our life and such. But that's the law that we've broken, that we've sinned yes. against, and so so how does that play into your, your transformation?
0: Well, when I was a Muslim, it didn't occur to me at all. That's not what I was concerned about. I was concerned about the, the rituals of Islam. Uh, it wasn't until I accepted Christ that I tell people it, living in Islam is like being in this, it, it's like a bird in a cage, where as soon as the door opened and I had an opportunity to leave, I just flew out there was no transformation. I was literally the same person, just 25 years older. There was no transformation that occurred internally. And it is only after I've accepted Christ, it's a little over three years now, that I feel this transformation occurring in my heart and in my soul, uh, in my personality, in my love for God, in the The desire to abide by his law, even though I don't have to, even though my sins are forgiven, the drawing nearer to Christ is something that comes from within me rather than this fear of God's wrath Amen. as I felt in Islam. Amen.
1: No, I, I totally agree. That's what that's what I was getting at. You know, we talk about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Of our minds. And we think of a certain way. So even though you left Islam, that didn't make you a Christian. And I think that's no. what you're trying to tell people. I left that, but you really didn't have a, a worldview. You didn't have a foundation of faith in anything. Now, let me ask you this. As you look at things, I, you know, we talked about on the broadcast, and I said— when people say, "Oh, the three Abrahamic religions, the Abrahamic faiths," that's what they'll say. And I will, I will often say, and I'm just kind of curious if you agree with it or not. I will say, no, Judaism is still without a Messiah. They reject, they continue to reject the Messiah. Islam doesn't believe the Christ uh, has come in the flesh and therefore died for sins. In fact, many of them will say he didn't die, um, and that he was resurrected, and that he can forgive sin. Only. Christianity, and you read the book of Galatians. I've been over this several times on the show. You read that. it's he, Paul is telling you, look, he was a Jewish guy, but he's saying the only real Abrahamic faith are those who have the faith of Abraham, and that is in the promised seed, the Lord Jesus. Would you say Amen. the same thing is true I, uh, from your perspective? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> absolutely. The, I tell people the story that how my life has come full circle. I was uh, an appointee for President George Bush. And at the time, I there was a lot, he he did a lot of interfaith activity. And at the time, there was the head of the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. Robert Land, who never participated. He would come to the round tables with the president, but other than that, never participated. And I'm this kind of young, ambitious girl. And I go up to him and he's this large, towering figure. And I said, Dr. Land, can I ask you a question? Why don't you ever participate in the interfaith activities? And he said to me, Young lady, there's only one God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Amen. <laughs> Walked
0: away. 20 years, 25 years later, that's my boss at the Christian Post. And I told my editor that story. I was like, the only person who ever witnessed to me was Dr. Land. who's the only person that ever said that to me. And that's the stance I take now in terms of interfaith activity. I would never participate in interfaith activity because it's a farce. You're not looking, you're not supposed to in spreading the gospel, you're not supposed to look for common ground. You're supposed to make distinctions. That's right. You're supposed to explain in love and for compassion for the other person, you want to give the truth of the gospel so they can be saved like you. That's right. You don't you don't want to fool them into thinking you're worshiping the same God. Why would anybody leave Islam if we're worshiping the same God? That doesn't make any sense. Well, isn't isn't that part of what we saw after
1: like nine eleven? I mean, we saw Bush, and, you know, Bush's background is pretty occultic, if you ask me. It's not Christian at all. Uh, so is his daddy, so is his granddaddy. And, yeah. and we, we saw all of these religions coming together. I can remember some of the, the fields. They would gather in these stadiums, and they would have the Islamists, they would have the Jewish guys, and they would have the Zionists, and they would have the chabad Lubavitch guys, and they would have the Christians up there. And all these people come together, and you're just like... um, I'm all for interacting with all kinds of people. How else are we to spread the gospel if we don't do that? You know, right. I mean, if it means going down in, into a bar, I'll, I'll go into a bar. I don't care uh, if it means going into the store or wherever or out, you know, protesting Chick-fil-A, you know, or for three hours <laughs> with a bullhorn. I'll do that. I don't have a problem doing that. But this thing of where you come together and you're all praying as though you're calling upon your gods. It, it sounds to me like you're just asking for God to judge you because he's, he's, he said in his word, he says, go and call to your gods and see if they'll save you. <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll laugh at you as you're doing stupid. Stupid stuff like that. And we've often said, you know, I, I see that you've got the Second Amendment back there behind you, and we're big proponents of that. But, you know, the First Amendment also applies here. God has not given us the right to worship false gods. So when we talk about the freedom of religion, yeah, I can't get in somebody's conscience. What's up there is between them and God. But this idea that we've allowed the, the, the gods to have their temples, their mosque, or whatever, all over America, to me, is doing what we read about in the, in the book of Ju- uh, Judges, and that is when the people had strange gods come in, there was war within the gates, and that's what we allow to happen. So I, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, to see those kinds of things, but, okay, so let's, let's move a little further. Okay, so you become a Christian, you be, you're growing in the Lord. Uh, yes. As Paul says, the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, you're doing that. How does that translate into what you were doing with the FBI and all these guys into who you are right now? What are some of the changes that occurred in your life that you can you can look back clearly and say, that changed in my life because of what Scripture had to say or because this person influenced me through the Scripture uh, to to change my life in these these years that you've been a Christian?
0: So, I in when I left Islam, I moved to California. So, I was in DC and I was part of a, a large professional social network. So, the physical distance and then it, it broke my ties with that community. So, it made it easier to transition to basically create my new life in Christ. But I was also slightly caught up in the whole transition to President Trump and uh, the turnover that happened at the FBI. So our contract, our whole program was was um, discontinued as a result of uh, the the election. And so career-wise, I'd made an entire shift. I basically came to California to help out my father. He had a large healthcare uh, business. And so it gave me a chance. When I first started... Uh, was baptized, I spent about two and a half years and I barely left the house. I bought uh, logos.com, which is a a large library, digital library of Christian resources. And I just watched as much as I possibly could. I read the Bible as much as I could. I prayed. I fasted. I did uh, commentary. I read commentary on the Bible from a variety of different uh, schools of thought. And it (laughs) how do i even explain it the indwelling of the holy Spirit is something of course i had never experienced before the notion that God speaks back it's a living god it's it's a personal relationship Amen. with your lord and savior and that he communicates remember in islam god doesn't communicate you're sending prayers up it's a one-way communication so just that the entire experience of living with God being a child of god was was extraordinary and continues to be extraordinary, of course. So my personality fault faults. My sense of love, love, used to be entirely transactional for me. It was you give me something, I give you something. It, I had no concept of what it means to have this the the kind of love that Christ gives us and the kind of love He expects from us and for other people and for our neighbors and for other Christians and for the church. So that was also, that's been entirely new for me. So again, the transformation is from the inside out rather than something I am imposing on myself to try to change
1: yeah and it sounds like in islam a lot of that is very close to what the pharisees were doing they were washing the outside of the cup but not the inside so i'm glad that you you said that because that is that's what i want people to understand too um you know if they if they knew if they knew me the real me um apart from christ and even at times if i'm disobedient uh they would say boy you're an ugly guy yeah i am I, I mean, I don't claim to be that. Uh, as one guy said a long time ago, uh, "I'm the pile of manure on the white marble floor of Christ, if you will." Of that, I mean, you you think about that—how disgusting Absolutely. that would be. That's how we are as sinners, and that's what the Bible says about us. But yeah. then God saves us, and He makes us what new creatures. New. Yeah, all things have become new, and so and we're and we can't boast about any of that. Any good that comes from us comes because of christ and uh, yes. so i'm glad to hear that so how does this affect your relationship with your family um are they still are they still in islam
0: yes i have nobody okay. nobody left but my uh, unfortunately my father passed away and he was a complete sweetheart to me and my daughter because my daughter accepted christ soon after me she was uh, 12 and a half at the time but other than my mother uh nobody else I don't communicate with anybody else in the family. Okay.
1: All right. What about friends? Did you lose a lot of friends when you became a Christian? All of them. Really? Every single one. And I had lots. (laughs) So when you would read the promises of Christ, you know, if you're going to, you got to leave mom and dad, you got to make it look like hate that, not that you hate them, but you got to make it look like that. You experienced that, eh? Every,
0: every minute of it. Yes. You must hate mother, father, leave your mother and father's home and forsake them for christ i've I've, <laughs> I've definitely experienced all of that yeah and some people would say oh well that means you really hate them that's that's not
1: the case at all it just no, means yeah. you love christ more uh, and you're yes. willing to give up whatever it is for that um can you give some experiences did you did you have any bad experiences like exchanges with family members or friends to where they you thought it was maybe going to get violent or something like that when
0: you left no i <laughs> people people uh think that a lot of because of my professional background they think I've kind of avoided that part of the struggle because uh, quite frankly I think people are scared of me a little bit uh, <laughs> they, they know I'm pretty good with a gun and I've got a lot of uh, really good friends so I, it's never been a threat to my life per se but I've had some very close family members say some pretty nasty things about me that were hurtful it just really, really hurt uh, to lose people that um, meant so much to me for so long. And actually, I had a really good friend that was my daughter's like godmother, uh, who who basically treated me like I died. And it was it was extremely painful. It was extremely painful to spend you know twenty plus years of your life with somebody as if you're family, and then for them to pretend like you died because you changed your religion. Yeah, yeah. Have any of those
1: people, have you had a chance to really share the gospel with them? Any of them come to Christ or has that just been something that's been a sort of a bridge that's burned and they don't want to let you in at all?
0: No, but see, the thing is, the interesting thing is, is that I so I actually spoke at my father's funeral at the Islamic Center that my father founded because once uh, my brother and I became religious, my parents started to become more religious as well. Uh, so fast forward, I ended up talking about Uh, I I got a chance to read from the Psalms and tell them about even though I walk through the shadow of death, I feel no evil because my Lord God is with me. And I talked about being saved in Christ and how supportive my father was. So I had a, a chance to do that. But what I'm also getting a chance to do is because I run an online ministry, I know that they're listening. And I know that they're watching the videos. So people in my community, because I hear it third hand, I hear it from people or I get emails from people. I get Instagram, like private messages saying, hey, I heard so-and-so watched one of your videos. So I know uh, that they, at one point in their lives, trusted me. And so now they're listening to these messages and I know it must be planting uh, seeds. So I hope one day I'll get a chance to, do it face to face. Amen. Amen. I like that. I like that
1: optimism. Because yes. you know, that's what I tell people. I don't ha- we don't have doom and gloom here at the Sons of Liberty. First Corinthians fifteen says that Christ is subduing, and he has been since the first century, subduing all his enemies under his feet, and he's gonna do so till the last day. Yeah. Now, if we believe that, we can go out in faith, and we can do it online, we can do it in person, we can do it wherever with whoever, and trust yeah. that, that God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. And I, I'm glad to hear that yeah. optimism. You made mention a minute ago of something that happened when the when the Trump administration came in. You lost your funding, or the, the group that you were with lost their position. What ha- can you tell us what happened there? Because I'm unaware of what happened there. Can you tell us what went on in that? Oh. God. Oh, this so... is going to be a good one, isn't it?
0: <laughs> so, we were uh we were a policy shop under um Andy McCabe.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Remember? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. You remember
1: that? See, name? now you know why I'm cynical.
0: Yeah, well, I it wasn't it wasn't like that when I when we, I don't know how to explain it. So first of all, to be at FBI headquarters was always a dream of mine as a little kid. I wanted to join the FBI. My parents wouldn't let me. And so I basically got to get an appointment there, you know, 30 years later. So it was really an honor. And then once I get there, I'm thinking to myself, this is before Trump's administration. We were doing um, counterterrorism work. We were building a program to prevent terrorism. And I had a great boss who believed passionately in what we were doing. We were catching bad guys. We were trying to institute national standards. So it wouldn't be willy nilly in one way in LA and another way in New York. And then the gauntlet fell. So when, so I am, too low down in the totem pole to understand what is going on. But once the Trump administration comes into power, we're in a lockdown. Like We're literally not allowed to communicate with anybody. And I had a number of friends, like, for example, Seb Gorka was appointed to the White House, who was a friend, General Flynn. I had worked with General Flynn. He was in the White House. And so I would tell my boss, I want to go see so-and-so. And he's like, you can't. And I was like, what do you mean I can't? He's like, you're not allowed to go over there. And I was like, why? And he's like, don't ask me any more questions because I'm not going to answer your questions. And so that's the way it went. We just literally we couldn't move. We could we nothing moved. And, was this was this coming down from the top?
1: I mean, was this coming from Trump or was this coming from uh, no, somebody else? Or it was, who?
0: The only thing I could tell you, because it was never um, explicitly told to me is that this was coming from Andy. This was coming from the the brass at FBI. Trump wasn't stopping it. It was literally because of the, the Russia investigation and everything else that was happening against the White House, they didn't want anybody in the Bureau implicated in the investigation, tainting the investigation, like mucking up the waters, basically. I see, okay. So unless you had... Um, explicit orders to communicate or to do anything in the White House. And later we learned, remember, there was two agents that went to question General Flynn, like everything was very, very intentional and planned. So they didn't want the rest of us going in there and like, you know, playing around in the in the hallways and messing up whatever it is they were working on. Okay. All right. Now, do you
1: think that uh, endangered America, the United States. Uh, you know, I have a lot of – I'm going to tell you, I have a lot of questions about what is told to us as being good. We had uh, our friend Kevin Shipp. You may be familiar with Kevin who used to be CIA, and he's a Christian as well. And he said, you know, when I started, you know, you'd walk in and this Bible verse is on the wall, and it was – you know, it used to be great during the Cold War. And then after the Cold War, he said, I watched my counterparts in Russia – become Christian, having Bible studies, doing all this kind of stuff. And my country was going in the opposite direction, and now they're looking for a way to justify themselves. And I think we see the CIA behind a whole bunch of stuff that is actually anti-American. And I want to say there's, and I'm not, again, I don't, broad brush and say every person in that but i say as an organization because of those leading it the fbi is among those who have been basically given the red light for some of these jihadis to do what they're doing garland texas i think is a perfect example of that the the guy who Mm -hmm. went after pamela geller they just didn't even let her know just a lot of that kind of stuff makes me go somebody who's leading it i'm not necessarily saying the guys on the bottom but whoever's above them when you start to get up in the upper echelons there is uh, there's got to be such corruption there uh, that it's I don't even think you can you can sit here and and spell it out on the show.
0: Well, and so uh, what I want people to have an appreciation for is that there's, you know, the, there's thousands of people in the FBI, CIA, whatever government administration and especially in our security apparatus that are just doing their job. But like. There is an investigation that comes in. They're trying to work the investigation. They look at confidential resources. They look at classified material. And then they try to build a case. Somebody from the top will say yes or no. You know, it goes through levels of people to get approvals for a preliminary investigation. And somebody says no. Well, that person that was trying to run that case doesn't get the opportunity to appeal. This is not a court. It's a paramilitary organization. So the the answer comes back no, and the paper is shuffled along. So there's a lot of people that want to do um, better things, good things, and they just can't. I'll tell you from our program, my boss was, you know, they considered him like a steamroller, like a tank, because he wouldn't take no for an answer. And we still couldn't get the program approved because there is policy that needs to be written. The policy needs to be approved. It goes over to the Department of Justice, goes through 10 layers that way. And people are complaining about who's going to get a credit, who's going to get the credit for a program. And then they're concerned about media opinion of the program. And then this Muslim complained or this Hindu thinks this is bad. And they're so subjected to media criticism. And then things will get derailed because of that. So it's the entire organization is not corrupted. It's the broken system. If you ask me, it's it's the broken system. And then it's the people at the highest level, either not understanding what the programs are supposed to accomplish or doing things for alternative, uh, ulterior motives.
1: Yeah, I think I think that that's sort of what I'm trying to say. It's the guys yes. literally at the top who are calling the shots. And they compartmentalize I think you were hitting on that a minute ago. you got this guy over here doing this investigation. you got this guy out here doing this. And they never bring all of it. I think that was something they talked about after 9-11. They were talking about, oh, well, the CIA didn't communicate with the FBI, and the FBI didn't communicate. No, didn't. You know, come on. I mean, they're, they're going – I see what they do. I see they go after not even dealing with uh, Islamic jihadis. Uh, I see stuff that they do with other people. I see them go in, and they'll swoop in like the FBI – and they'll take over a pedophile website over here in North Carolina, uh, across the line from me, Operation Pacifier. They'll take that over, and what would be a, fe- a federal offense for every time they do it, they will distribute child pornography images and videos in the tens of thousands over several days to catch the guys who are allegedly w- wanting to see them. They're not. They haven't necessarily done anything to a job, but these are these are the guys that are FBI, and they're and it's a compartmentalization. It's okay to break the law in order to get the lawbreakers, and I say no, no, no. This isn't. This is unjust. It's Like the cop who goes one hundred miles an hour to catch me going ten miles over the speed limit. Uh, I said it's it's unjust. It's this whole thing of entrapment. It's the whole thing of breaking the law to get to get to the law. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking of, though, and why I asked you about that, you know, Tom Fitton had found out that the, the Trump administration was giving the the Muslim – I think it was the Muslim Brotherhood – three times more the amount of money than Barack Hussein Obama's Satoru Sabarka that, that he was giving them. And people were like, no, 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 that's fake news. Nope, here it is. I mean, this is – you know, Tom Fitton's not some liberal – no guy somewhere he's pointing this out so i i wanted to kind of get some feedback from you as to what was going on there and then of course i don't even want to go down the q road because i just think that's a whole bolshevik thing anyway but uh (laughs) but i do i you call me cynical if you want i just i've seen too much and i i just yeah you got to show me the money that you actually are who you say you are and you're doing what you say you do when you show me that i'll reconsider until then There's a long history there that I don't want to recount. We got about two minutes in the show here, and I wonder if you might want to leave people with a final thought and also tell them about your website. Absolutely.
0: So the website is resurrectministry.com, and I basically created it with the intention of providing an online platform for people to... Uh, have a direct personal relationship with Christ, whether you are a princess walled up in a palace in Dubai or a housewife in Southern California, that you can meet Christ where you are and that he will meet you where you are. And so I invite people, your listeners to check out the website, send comments directly to me through the website. There's a contact us button, share it with your friends, especially Muslim friends. I answer all the questions directly so that people I get Uh, emails constantly from people around the world asking me what to do about a friend that's trying to go into Islam. What's the best advice? What's the best way to witness to family members that are either in Islam or considering converting. And those are my favorite kind of questions that I love to help with and provide what I think to be some uh, powerful scripture resources, whatever it may be to discourage them from uh, converting to Islam, but also Please witness to your friends. Please share the gospel. I had a very dear friend of mine um, that I worked with in the Los Angeles Police Department who literally never mentioned the salvation of Christ in 30 years of friendship. So if, you know, I'm not saying that I would have accepted Christ earlier, but who knows? Please take every opportunity you can to share. And it doesn't mean that you have to use apologetics. You don't have to come at them telling them that Muhammad is a pedophile, but you can basically share the love of Christ, the power of redemption and the power of salvation uh, with everybody. You have an opportunity to do so and let that seed get planted let them come back to you and ask you a question and maybe they'll never say anything to you again but at least plant the seed Amen. like dr Amen. land did to me 30 Amen. years ago
1: <laughs> edia hey, yeah, thank you so much for being with us don't forget she's also got a podcast called living fearless devotional i'll say goodbye to you off air guys catch bradley at 3 p.m eastern 2 p.m central sons of liberty lord willing we'll see you in the morning 6 a.m adios